0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I am an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And originally, I had intended to bring you a third installment on our home theater basics, uh, but uh, stuff got, got piled up. I had to record episodes of a couple of other podcasts, one of which... Is a spooky podcast that'll be coming out later this year. Uh, Can't say a whole lot about it, except it's not 12 days of Halloween, and it's not 14 days of Halloween, somewhere in between. Anyway, because of that, I got a little bit behind. So we're going to have a rerun today of an episode that published on Christmas Day in 2019. Uh... Special guest Shannon Morse joined the show to talk about the dangers of public Wi-Fi. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's sit back and listen. There's a topic that I really wanted to cover because as I record this, we're in the holiday season, a lot of people are traveling, they're going through airports, maybe you're visiting family and occasionally you need to find a place to be elsewhere, like maybe a coffee shop or something. That typically means we're carrying our devices with us and then we want to connect to different networks, but... That might not always be a great idea. And so I decided I was going to do an episode all about the best ways to browse the Internet with privacy and safety in mind, going from the least private and the least secure to perhaps the most private and most secure. And then I thought, hey, you dumb dumb, you know people who are extremely well versed in this topic. And that's why I invited my good friend, the phenomenal Shannon Morse, to join this episode to come back. So welcome back to Tech Stuff, Shannon.
1: Thank you so much, Jonathan. I'm so excited to be back on the show. How are you doing?
0: I'm tired, but it's at the end of the year. So that (laughs) always happens, right? Like, and here's the thing, guys. I agree. You know, Shannon can tell you, and in fact, we were just talking about it before we went on uh, to record, that uh, the tech journalist's life does not get easier Uh, at the end of the year because you immediately turn around and head off to Vegas for CES. And that's where you're going to be in early January, as I understand it. Right, Shannon?
1: Yes, I will. I'll be there all week covering everything over on my channel. So make sure to link everybody to my channel later. (laughs) Absolutely,
0: because I ain't going, folks. So (laughs) Shannon's your, your, your destination for finding all the really cool stuff. And uh, uh, Shannon, I can say from experience, because I've watched her work, uh, does amazing work, not just at CES, but everywhere. But particularly like under a high-stress situation like CES, certain people can light up under the camera, and uh, uh, I'm frankly envious of your ability to do so. So um, that's me being nice. You're making
1: me blush. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I could be more... Caddy about it, but I'm gonna be nice. <laughs> the the caddy would be like, "How dare she? How dare she show me up?" Uh, but no, we're gonna talk about browsing safely. So, the first thing I wanted to do before we get into uh, the spectrum of browsing the internet, because you could argue that there's like the least safe, secure, naive way to do it, to what is perhaps the most secure, but not perfect. There's no perfect solution. Spoiler alert. Uh, Before we get into any of that, I wanted to talk about some stats. And these come from a few different sources. Uh, One was a survey that was conducted by One World Identity back in 2018 about public Wi-Fi. So this was just asking people about their perception and their use of public Wi-Fi. And Shannon, I kind of wanted to get your reaction to this. Because being someone who has been so entrenched in data security, in the hacker culture in uh, you know everything from how do we make these systems more secure to the white hat approach of how do we find any vulnerability so that they can be patched, to even the black hat culture where people are exploiting this for their own gain. I wanted to th- see what you thought about these stats. So the first one was uh, they asked a question to people in the United States, in Germany, and in France. And the question they asked was, do you ever use unsecured public Wi-Fi networks? In the United States, 49%, so nearly half said, you know, if there's no other option, sure, I'll do it. 32% actually said, I prefer using public Wi-Fi to using my cellular plan, Uh, presumably because they would not be billed for data usage, right? Because they're using Wi-Fi instead of their cell data. Uh, only 18% said they never did it. 1% said they do it, but only with a VPN, but we'll cover VPNs a little bit later. So, Shannon, you've you've talked with hackers. What do you think their reaction initially would be hearing that nearly 50% of people in the United States said, yeah, you know, if there's no other connection, I'll uh, I'll connect to public Wi-Fi. And another 32% said, Oh, heck yeah, sign me up. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm definitely in the one percent of only with a VPN, and and that's assuming that I have absolutely no other option. So I'm kind of a mix of the forty nine percent and the one percent, but only only if I, I have a VPN. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, from my experience, all of my friends would probably not be surprised by the thirty two percent that. Prefer public Wi Fi over their cellular uh, plants, specifically because of what you said. They'll be able to save money, especially if they don't have an unlimited plan through their mobile carrier. So, in that way, it makes sense. Uh, The 49% that say yes if there's no other option, there's always another option. Come on, folks, what are you doing? Where are you at? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we we have such good cellular coverage now. There's always another option, even if you just have 3G. Like that's manageable for most tasks. So what what are they doing? <laughs> I I'm just my draw m- my jaw kind of dropped a little bit when I heard that number. I just thought it was. I thought that I'm doing a much better job of educating people about the importance of not using public Wi-Fi, and apparently I'm not doing my job as well as I should have been.
0: Or, or the people who are already kind of hip to it are the ones watching you going, yeah, she gets it. She knows. And the people who need <laughs> to see it are like, what's on the masked singer today or whatever? You know, like, so uh, yeah, I, I look at this and I think, man, if I were a black hat, I would just be go doing the Mr. Burns excellent gesture over and over <laughs> again, just drooling at that opportunity because, you know, public Wi-Fi, is definitely the 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 most dangerous option you can pick when you're talking about protecting your own privacy and security, especially if you're not doing something like using a VPN. Uh, spoiler alert, we'll talk more about that in a second. And so knowing that your, your opportunity for targets is so vast has got to be uh, incredibly encouraging to someone who is ready to exploit that. And that's really, you know, that's what we're trying to protect everyone against is, you know, the likelihood of you running into these situations is not necessarily high on a day to day basis, but the opportunity is so huge that you need to take it into account no matter where you happen to be. So
1: you, you want to make yourself the hard target. Mm-hmm. You want to be the person that makes people work really hard to get access to your data. You don't want to be the easy target because the easier target you are, the more often you're going to be targeted. Mm-hmm. And You don't want that.
0: No, no. And and I, I was actually talking to a coworker today and I said, honestly, when you look at data security, even when you're talking like you will always get naysayers who will say, oh, sure, you can use this, but it doesn't protect you against everything. And they may technically be right. But my answer is the harder you make it, effectively what that means is you're making it more expensive for someone to successfully target you. So if you price yourself out where it would cost them more to break your security than they would get from whatever they took from you, you win. Because no one's going to lose money on that. Uh, Exactly. It's when you've made it so convenient that it's like it's like it's like when someone says about a sale i would lose money if i didn't buy that that's when you're in trouble yes yeah
1: yes exactly it's it, they're looking for the bargain deal and a lot of times when Uh, A black hat is looking at public Wi-Fi as a way to access information, they're intending to profit off of that information, Mm -hmm. whether by stealing an identity or reselling that data on the black market, like on the dark web. Mm -hmm. So making yourself the hard target is absolutely crucial to helping to protect you.
0: Yeah, and and just so that you guys out there know, I mean, I mentioned the United States numbers. It's not like Germany and France were shining examples of data privacy and security uh, among the public. In Germany, in fact, uh, forty-six percent of respondents said they'd used unsecured public Wi-Fi over their cellular data. So it was even a larger percentage than the United States. In the United States, it was that thirty-two percent that said oh yeah, if I've got a choice, I'll use public over my cellular data. In Germany, it was 46%. And 28% said they would use it if they could not get a cellular option. And then in France, it was closer to what the United States said. 32% said they preferred using public Wi-Fi to using their cellular data. And 48% said they'd used it if they couldn't get any other uh, option. So again, that mirrored very closely what the folks in the United States said. So this is a trend that goes beyond the U.S. I know that uh, because I'm centered in the U.S., I often get very U.S. centric, and I also tend to harp on how American citizens, in particular, seem to come across to me as being security illiterate. For in in large part, I mean, I, I just see it all the time. Uh, but I don't know if it it's not exactly reassuring to see that it's that way in other parts of the world. That doesn't fill me with confidence.
1: I think a lot of times um, people either don't know where to look for the information for accessible information that's that that's explained in a way that isn't scary or mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, uh, create create emotions of paranoia or just close people down so that they just get lose interest in security. Uh, and you also have a lot of folks out there that just don't care, but I think a lot of people do care. They just don't know where to look for this kind of information. So I'm glad that you, Jonathan, as well as myself on my channel, we're putting that information out there in a way that's easy to understand. And I'm hoping that even if it just helps one person understand a little bit better security and privacy, hopefully we change that percentage over time.
0: Absolutely. I agree. I think. It can be one of those situations where you get overwhelmed by the scope of something. And when you get overwhelmed, it's almost like there's a defense mechanism in your brain, right? It's like, this is too hard, so I can't worry about it. And
1: I have seen this in action when trying to tell people about like password managers, for example, mm-hmm. and they just shut down. They have no interest. They get glassy eyed and they just say, well, I don't see what the point is. And, on- and I try to explain the point. But as after that point, it's just it's just like talking through talking through the air. They yeah. they just don't want anything to do with it. And,
0: and as someone who relies heavily on a password manager, like it is it's it's fundamentally one of the most important tools in my toolbox to make certain that I don't do rookie mistakes, like using the same password for multiple accounts, right? Because uh, as as we'll discuss as we get into this discussion about safely browsing the internet, one of the big dangers is that if you, through accident or, or you're tricked or whatever, if you somehow share your login information for one service, let's say that you have one service that isn't using uh, uh, secure encryption for some reason. First of all, don't do that. But if you are, if you're using that same password anywhere else, it's like you just handed a skeleton key to somebody because oh, yeah. they, now they can access everything you've used that password with. I mean, this is this is blatantly obvious. So that's why it's so important to have unique, strong passwords for all the different services you use. That way, if one, if worst case scenario, one gets compromised, it doesn't compromise everything else.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because the the more different things that you use that help your security and privacy every single step you take absolutely helps Mm -hmm. and that's just one of the many steps that you can take right every single consumer in the world does not have to take all of these steps all at once because that would be quite Mm mind-boggling but if you do take steps towards these over time you can increase your privacy and security twofold yeah hundred times fold
0: yeah it's (laughs) fantastic yeah i mean and 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 to be fair like like I'm going to be upfront guys like I used to be the dude who had like three passwords and for everything Oh same. Yeah. Me too. I, I was like that for years until until I finally like woke up to how dangerous that was. I was fortunate in that I was never knowingly anyway targeted for a specific like intrusion. Uh, as far as I know, I never none of my stuff ever got compromised because of that. Stuff has been compromised because of data breaches that are beyond our control. But we're really focusing on the stuff that we as end users can do to improve our security as best we can, knowing that we live in a world where that's just one point of vulnerability. That's one point of attack. But it's it's one that we have some control over. Uh, another Another scary statistic, or at least I thought it was scary, is that Kaspersky did a uh, a survey back in 2017, and or they did an analysis of 32 million hotspots. Hotspots being points of contact where your device connects over to the internet at large, and a hotspot can be everything from the router in a uh, like a coffee shop to your own cell phone. You might be using that as a portable hotspot. Out of the 32 million hotspots they examined, 25%, one quarter of them had no encryption in use at all, meaning everything is being sent in plain text, which means that if anyone has any method of eavesdropping on those communications, they see it all, which again blows my mind that there would be that many networks that have no encryption in place at all. Not even bad encryption. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's a very scary number. That's extremely high and is a lot higher than what I thought it would be. Uh, If if they're not using any sort of encryption whatsoever for a hotspot, that means that anybody within that vicinity, within range of that device, would be able to see everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's very, very mind-boggling.
0: Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, because... We say these things, right? We say that when you use public Wi-Fi, you're using if you're using an unsecured public Wi-Fi hotspot, especially one that is unencrypted, that you are in danger of this. And uh, a lot of people say, all right, but exactly what's going on, right? How are they doing this? And it's that there are various pieces of software out there that allow people who, are, who get onto a network to monitor traffic that's going across that network. I mean, there are entire uh, groups out there that make different software and hardware uh, solutions to do just this, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, not gonna lie. Um, I used to solder and sell Some of these products at a company that I used to work with called Hack5. So I'll definitely share some of that information once we get closer to those those topics with today's discussion. But yeah, those products exist, they're very inexpensive, and some of the software is free, and there's tutorials made by yours truly on YouTube that show you how to use these things. So (laughs) it's definitely a thing that pretty much anybody can introduce themselves to, Mm -hmm. and then they will be able to see what's going on on a network
0: and there are you know different reasons to even do this there's obviously there's the the nefarious ones that we're concerned about but there's also like if you're a network administrator being able to do things like yes. monitor network traffic and see points of congestion education yeah education as well yeah there's like there's there are legit reasons to use that sort of technology that don't that don't immediately point you to the <laughs> to the road of I'm here to steal all your infos. It's like there's stuff that where this is uh, used in quote-unquote legitimate purposes. I mean, like packet sniffers. That's something that sounds like it's underhanded and shady, but they were invented not to try and sniff out what someone else was doing, but literally to help network administrators see how network how network traffic was moving across. So that they could make sure that everything was working properly. So uh, but it doesn't mean that you can't you know a tool a tool is either a tool or a weapon depending upon how you want to use it. And so the same stuff that was used to help networks is also used to exploit them. Um,
1: exactly. You could say the same thing about a kitchen knife. I mean absolutely. we use kitchen knives to to, you know, cut up fruits and veggies. Mm-hmm. Some nefarious people might use one to murder somebody. Yeah, I use, <laughs> pardon, I, pardon me, but no, no, I mean, I, that's the thing.
0: I, I use the exact same sort of analogy, except uh, when I was talking to someone earlier today, but it was a hammer. But same thing, like a hammer yeah. is either something that you're using to to build stuff with, or it could be used to, to bludgeon somebody. And it all comes down to, it's not that the tool itself is bad. It's the intent and use of the person wielding that tool. And the same is exactly. true of technology. Uh So one other stat that I wanted to mention that's pretty alarming. uh, Norton found out, this was in 2015, so it's a few years uh, ago, but that 21% of Americans had had their email hacked at some point and that 12% had their financial data stolen while they were shopping online and that in 2015, 594 million people globally had been a victim of some sort of cyber crime. And that kind of shows us the scale of why... This is an important topic. It's not just because the opportunity is there. It's because people are actually actively uh, taking advantage of those opportunities. And you could be the victim of one of those actions if you're not careful. And we love you.
1: Yes, absolutely. We do love you very much. Uh, I'm kind of. I'm kind of thinking that all of those numbers have probably increased mm-hmm. given that it's been about 4 years since they were uh they analyzed the data and had those those statistics available because in the past couple of years we've seen hacks go from a few hundred million people to almost a billion people mm-hmm. get uh, hacked online, so it's entirely possible that those numbers have increased quite a bit since 2015,
0: especially in the realm of the mobile app becoming king, right? Because there's oh, yeah. there's such a proliferation of apps out there that either through a conscious effort are creating vulnerabilities, or because of poor design, create vulnerabilities that can later be exploited. You know, we've seen so many examples of that where an API didn't take everything into account and then someone was able to exploit it. A famous one being Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, where you had an app that if you installed the app, like you would voluntarily install it within your Facebook and you're voluntarily sharing your own information. All of that is fine, right? If you've agreed
1: to do it, that's fine. Such a good idea. (laughs)
0: <laughs> not a good idea. There's such a
1: good example. Good example. Yeah, good example. Yeah.
0: Good example. <laughs> not a good idea to do, but it's fine if you if you are knowingly doing that, that's fine. But the problem that the Cambridge Analytica story brought to bear is that they took advantage of a loophole in Facebook's API and they were able to, to fish out a ton of information about all the contacts of the people who had installed the app. These are people who did not uh, uh, you know, give permission to share their information, but the app collected all that information regardless. And that's where we see like, you know, there were countless victims of this app because none of them opted in to share that information. It was just taken from them. And uh, that's just one little example of the world we live in where, you know, even when you are being careful, there there are these opportunities for your information to get out there, which is why we're like, this is why you need to take the the steps necessary to protect yourself as best you can because we live in a world where there are numerous uh, attack vectors that point back to us yes all right
1: I mean just mid-december the New York Times discussed location tracking mm-hmm. on phones and how ping pings to local towers can basically give you a map of a certain phone ID and you can track that and figure out who that phone belongs to based on what residence and what office they go to every day. It's extremely scary. And the more information we have about it as consumers, the better we can protect ourselves.
0: Yeah. And again, like uh, uh, back to what you were just saying, Shannon, uh, Facebook sent a letter to Congress just a couple of days before we record this episode where they said, yeah, um, even if you opted out of location tracking, we actually know where you are partly because of the information people are voluntarily sharing like if i tag uh, if i take a photo uh, while i'm at a party and i tag the location and i tag people who are in the photo well i'm voluntarily sharing a lot of information maybe those people haven't given me permission to do that but i'm i'm sharing right. that information so yeah of course facebook knows where i am when i when i'm there and who i'm with because i shared that information but they also admitted yeah we also Use a lot of other methods where we can suss out where you were and who you were with at what time that aren't as obvious and aren't uh, examples of the user voluntarily mm-hmm. handing over information. So yeah, scary stuff. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention is sort of the a bird's eye view of the process of what it's like just connecting to Wi-Fi so we can kind of understand uh, you know, what's going on. Because I think a lot of people... If they think that if they see that, for example, that there's a a Wi-Fi hotspot that requires a password, they immediately think that that is inherently more secure than a public Wi-Fi spot that has no password, which is not necessarily true. Um, So connecting to Wi-Fi is really you can think of it as a series of handshakes between whatever device you're using and the hotspot, whether it's a router or something else. And this series of handshakes is not meant to secure the data. It's not meant to encrypt a channel necessarily. It's not meant to protect it. What it's meant to do is to identify the device and the hotspot so that they know where the data needs to go, right? Otherwise, if if we all connected to a public Wi-Fi hotspot and there wasn't this handshake Uh, thing going on. It would be as if we were all listening to an open broadcast of everything all at once and it would just be meaningless garbage. And we would just get we would just get <laughs> everyone's data simultaneously, and we're like, I don't even, I don't know what this I mean, we is. We could try. We could. <laughs> I don't think it would go well. Uh, but so this was this was literally the solution to that problem. Like you know, if you're using wired connections, that's one thing, right? You can wire things to specific ports. You have physical hardware. When you go wireless, you have to create a virtual version of that. That's sort of what the handshake process is for. It's saying, hey. There's this device that wants to connect to the network. The network says, okay, I'm giving you permission. The device says, okay, this is who I am. And the network device says, all right, I I see who you are. And now we can send information back and forth. You can send requests out to the internet. I'll go out and grab whatever it is you wanted, and I'll return it just to you. That's the idea.
1: That's actually a great explanation without using any of the terminology. So I, I thank you for the doing that. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I tried. I tried at one point. I had a spoiler alert. or Well, not even a spoiler alert. Uh, Look behind the curtain, folks. Uh, I had originally started this episode as a solo show. And that's when it struck me that it would be way easier if I brought Shannon on because she's much smarter than I am. And so as I was doing it, I was trying to describe this process. And I think I went through two or three drafts when I said, you know what? I can just step back and not get so technical because the technical parts aren't really what's important. What's important is just sort of understanding the concept of the process and why it is not inherently tied to security and privacy. It's inherently tied to just what does it take so that you can have these two devices communicate with one another and not have them confused with all the other devices that hook into the same network. And once I figured that out, I was like, I'm going to go with that because <laughs> I'm tired of yeah. trying to figure out how to explain this handshake process.
1: Um Oh, it totally works. Yeah. I mean, I like the handshake terminology because it, it is kind of like that. Like in person, whenever you meet somebody, you acknowledge each other, you shake each mm-hmm. other's hands, you kind of authenticate each other by name and by face. Mm-hmm. And that's very similar to what a router does with a device yeah. like your smartphone or a laptop. It's basically doing the same thing where you're, you're looking for somebody to introduce yourself to. You go in, you acknowledge each other, you shake hands with each other. You kind of authenticate each other by name, and then you have that connection. Yeah, and you have that connection forever until you break it off. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yes. And if uh, if you're at CES, it probably also requires you to hand over a business card because that's like
1: yeah, most likely. That's the that's the currency. <laughs> I guess that would be your password, right? Yeah,
0: I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the, how, how information is sent through packets just so that we can understand what did that packet sniffing thing mean earlier. But uh, first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Shannon and I have a lot more to say about the dangers of public Wi-Fi, but first, let's take a quick break. All right, and we're back. So I promised that we were going to talk about packets. Packets is a pretty simple concept. So a packet switching network, you probably heard that term before. Uh, The internet, when the, the pioneers of the internet were sort of designing this thing, they thought, well, how do we make it so that information can be sent from one computer to another in such a way that if something happens, the information can continue to make its way to its destination, even if there's some sort of interruption. And if it were just an uninterrupted string of data and there was an interruption, then you would have a corrupt file or, you know, things would not work, right? You wouldn't get what you were wanting. So they said, what if we bundle data into uh, certain sizes? We'll call it packets. The packets will have information on them that will tell the data where it needs to go, where it came from, and how it fits within all the other packets to make whatever the thing is. And since we're talking about the internet, let's be honest, chances are it's a picture of a cat. So that cat picture is gonna <laughs> be a lot of different data packets and they have to put the packets together kind of like a puzzle in order to recreate that image of a cat. So that's that's what a packet is. Well, the packet, because it has that information on it about where it's going and where it's from, that's what we would call metadata, right? That's the data about the data or it's data that somehow describes the data that's inside. And uh, and I always I always try and say that the packets on the other side get reassembled Willy Wonka style, like uh, Mike TV when he goes across the camera. Um, Oh, I like that. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a nice way of putting it, uh, especially since I mean that's one of my favorite films of all time, the uh, Gene Wilder version, not the not the Johnny oh yes, not the Johnny Depp version. Yeah, so (laughs) that's where we get the words for packets. So a packet sniffer, as we mentioned earlier. Uh can be software, it can be hardware, it can be a combination of the two that is meant to sort of check out the packets that are being sent across a network uh, and get an idea of what's going on there. And one of the things someone can do if they have a packet sniffer and they know how to do it is they can look for packets that represent essentially an unencrypted cookie or a session key. And this is essentially where a user has sent a request to log into a service of some sort. Uh, And if the hacker is able to sniff out that cookie, they might be able to step in and pose as that user and thus get access to the user's account or services. Um, And this is sometimes referred to as Uh, sidejacking. I learned a lot of hacker slang while I was doing the research for this. Yeah.
1: I'm so proud of you. I'm not
0: good at using it, but I learned it.
1: It's okay. You could go to DEF CON next year and totally fit in. Uh,
0: Yeah, except I would be like, all right, well, I'm going to leave all of my devices at home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Another great idea.
0: (laughs) DEF CON, for those who do not know, is a information security and hacking convention where uh, if you aren't careful, they will let you know about it.
1: Oh, yeah, they do. Usually they're nice about it and you just end up on, on this thing called the wall of shame. But luckily, generally, people don't nefariously hack each other there. It's just kind of to pop your name up on a wall of shame and that's about it. Yeah. Essentially,
0: <laughs> essentially they're saying, hey, you need to have a heads up, like whatever you're doing is not sufficient. Yes. Yeah. It's it's really more like it's really more like saying, like, listen we want you to be safe (laughs) and right now you're not being safe so uh, it is but yeah but still there's also the shame factor and uh, the more the more known you are in the sphere I imagine the greater the shame would be to appear on that wall
1: oh yeah definitely so, this was. <laughs> I've never been on the wall of shame, and I hope I never oh, am. Oh,
0: congratulations. Uh, yeah, I've never been on the Thank wall of you. shame either, but that's because I haven't gone. Uh, I am certain I would <laughs> end up doing something boneheaded and mess up. So, you were talking earlier about how you have actually actively worked on technologies that do this this packet sniffing uh, uh, approach.
1: Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, I used to work at a company called Hack Five. I still do shows on that channel, mm-hmm. HAK Five, and uh, our our premise for that channel is educating people who are interested in security and privacy and might want to go into information technology or penetration testing or infosec, info security as a profession. So we teach young hackers how to legally use their talents to actually get a job that will help them spur the economy, help them protect companies, uh, and help them really get involved with their passion. Um, So one of the products that we created is something called the Wi-Fi Pineapple. It's a little hardware device. It's basically a router, but the software that's built into the Wi-Fi Pineapple allows us to do things like uh, get people to connect to a Wi-Fi pineapple as opposed to a regular router mm-hmm. and allow us to sniff packets, just like you were saying. Um, the The product has been around for half a decade at this point. No, actually, it's been almost a decade. Wow, I can't believe it's been so long. But we've gone through various revisions of it. And as security has gotten stronger, there's always been new vulnerabilities available in wireless network technology. So we've always been able to update the Wi-Fi Pineapple to continue to educate people why it's still a good idea to not co- connect to public Wi-Fi or open uh, hotspots. And uh, it's been a wonderful education tool since we can use it as this kind of man-in-the-middle attack for for you know helping people understand.
0: Yeah, and I mean like, the, the thing that I, I see people sometimes, and I know you've seen it, sometimes protest. They're like, why are you making this thing? And the argument I would make to them, and I'm sure it's an argument that you guys have made numerous times, is you know that people who have bad intentions are making stuff like this already. They're, they're, yeah. they're doing it all the time. They're doing it, and they're not talking about it. They're not upfront about it because they want to take advantage yeah. of it. The reason why you guys do it is to raise awareness, to teach people how it works, and presumably they can then take that knowledge and better protect whatever their future clients might be if they end up working as a white hat hacker. And...
1: Yeah, straight up people have made their own Wi-Fi pineapples using, you know, different t- types of hardware and different kind of software that they've, you know, made their own. Uh, but our our products are, well, Hack5's products are listed in NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, as a wireless penetration testing device. Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies see it as a professional tool, and they get their employees to purchase these items to use and make sure that their networks are protected. Because as much as you could use a Wi-Fi pineapple to hack somebody, you can also use it to protect yourself because you're still doing the same kind of tracking on your known network. Mm-hmm. So if I had a Wi-Fi pineapple on a company's network that I'm legally uh, have access to, as since that's my profession, for example, hypothetically, uh, then I could see what employees are doing on that network. So if somebody's visiting Facebook when they shouldn't be, I could see that and I could tell them, hey, you need to, you know, cut that off or you're gonna get written up or if there was an attacker trying to gain access to a wireless network, I would be able to see those packets because they would not be what I normally see. And I would be able to protect my network because I could blacklist them then. So there's so many different ways that you can use these tools, not just nefariously like you had mentioned, but in, in uh, like these amazing ways that help protect so much more than just companies, but also the employees that are working there as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. and that- And I've always been the type to say if if someone's outwardly talking about what their technology can do, then those are the people you should trust. It's the ones who aren't talking that you have to worry about. So it's the same thing for me when people are talking about security vulnerabilities that they found in systems where they might come forward and say, yeah, I reported this. Like 3 months ago, the company still hasn't done anything about it. The only reason I'm coming forward is because that puts the pressure on the company to definitely make a change because that vulnerability exists whether they talk about it or not. Now they have to do something because the public knows about it. And and they're Absolutely. you know, I'm I'm fully on board with that too. I mean, I think that you always give the entity the chance to address it. But if they haven't shown any movement toward that, I think it's the responsibility of someone who's found a vulnerability to come forward with it because otherwise it's just it's just a ticking time bomb. Someone's going to take advantage of it. And then it becomes a problem far bigger than coming forward and saying, hey, you guys need to fix your stuff.
1: And it's it's not just, you know, devices like the Wi-Fi pineapple, but as we had mentioned, it's also software that's involved too that can do very similar Uh, type of tracking on networks. There's a technology called Wireshark, which I'll bring up not just because, you know, I have no financial responsibility uh, via Hack5. So like, if, if, You know, somebody purchases a Wi-Fi pineapple when they hear this talk. I don't get anything from that. No compensation whatsoever. Mm. I just do a show on that channel. So don't worry. I don't get referrals or anything. Uh, But there's also software like Wireshark, which is a free service online that anybody can download. And that allows you to do packet sniffing. Uh, I've used it to test my own home network and make sure that my smart IoT devices are secure and they're encrypted. And that has, luckily, luckily all of my devices are you know totally secure, which is wonderful. But back in the day when I first started using Wireshark, I discovered that uh, when I was using Instagram on my phone, I could see links to the pictures that I was liking as I liked them. So as I gave them the little hearts, uh, it would pull up a little HTTP link and I could click on that through Wireshark and I could see exactly which pictures I was liking, which was so creepy. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely something that you should be aware of is what kind of data is being passed through n- with no encryption whatsoever and what kind of data is being encrypted too.
0: Yeah, totally. And you, men- it's crazy. you mentioned the man in the middle attack. Uh, that's that's kind of a, a another step up where you have a hacker that sets their machine in between a user and some other computer. That might be a router. So you might actually have a man in the middle of the where someone's, say, at the coffee shop and they set up uh, their computer so that it appears to be the coffee shop's network. Uh, there's actually ways where you can force a reboot of a system and then pose as that system so that when it does reboot, you are effectively a, a middleman in that Relationship and meanwhile, you see all the stuff that goes across it because your computer is acting as the network spot for where, where everybody's connecting through. Uh, so that's that's one way. But there's also ways of doing a man-in-the-middle attack between a uh, like a, a, a client and an actual service, like you know, directing mm-hmm. people to fake bank login pages and things of that nature. Um, so those are things you also have to be aware of. Although. That can happen pretty much in every scenario we're going to talk about. That requires you to pay close attention to what you are doing as you're browsing. Um, And I mentioned earlier about the idea that if you are using public Wi-Fi that is password protected, let's say you're at a a coffee shop where, yeah, you can log into their, their Wi-Fi, but you have to first go up to the cash register and find out what the password is, and then you find that out and you log in. Some people feel like that gives them that extra area of security. Honestly, that doesn't because there's nothing stopping a hacker going into that same coffee shop, getting that same password. (laughs) And like, it doesn't add any, like uh, by itself, it doesn't add any extra security. It just is one extra little step.
1: Yeah, it's true. Uh, Yeah, anybody, even in the vicinity, if they've ever had access to that uh, wireless password, and the coffee shop, for example, has never changed the password. Like they could easily get access again with a long-range antenna on the other side of a parking lot and be able to sniff what everybody in that coffee shop is doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't even use coffee shop Wi-Fi or airport Wi-Fi if we want to use that example. Yeah, no, those, those, are those, are those aren't even trustworthy. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I think that those are perfect examples, especially as people are traveling a lot for the holidays. Like. I, that's where I think of seeing people whipping out their computers the most is airports and coffee shops. That's it. Um, but yeah, if you have an encrypted network, that's better. That's, it's again, like this is another step where we're getting into uh, a more secure area. And we'll talk about different types of encryption in a second. But before we get to that, there's actually Also, a uh, difference in the types of browsers, right? Different browsers offer different levels of features that either uh, enable security and privacy or they make it really difficult to protect. So on the bad end of the scale, as Internet Explorer, uh, for multiple reasons, Uh, it was never the best browser when it comes to security and privacy. But... It's really not great now because Microsoft no longer actively supports it. Um, They will push out a security update on occasion, but it's not frequent, which means that there are a lot more opportunities for people to discover and exploit vulnerabilities and, and be fairly sure that those vulnerabilities will stick around for a while. So it's not even like a rush because Microsoft isn't updating it that frequently. Uh, with security patches. So that's a bad one. Don't use it. Microsoft (laughs) Microsoft Edge, only slightly better than the completely unsupported (laughs) Internet Explorer, um, at least as far as privacy is concerned. Uh, I use Google Chrome a lot, but admittedly, Google Chrome, not great either. Uh, It's kind of on the bottom half of the middle of the pack. So uh, they're better about security, but uh, they are the pits when it comes to privacy. Also not a big surprise yes, because, I mean, what's Google's business, right?
1: Google owns you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> your data is Google's. That's what Google buys and sells. Like, it's your information. That's That's it's Google's true. currency. So clearly it does not behoove Google to... Lock down privacy super tight. They want to know all the information about you. They make that's how they make their money. Um, so of all the common browsers, like the ones that are frequently used out there, the one that uh, that tends to rank the highest is Firefox, higher yes. than Opera, higher than Chrome, higher than Safari. Um, so uh, it does really well, especially for security and privacy. Uh, it can support a lot of features that protect you when you're when you're surfing stuff that will end up cutting down on things like targeted advertising because you can really limit the information that's being shared uh, by the sites that you're visiting Um, and you can also enhance it with various add-ons that you can find Uh, although obviously anytime you're going to be adding anything to uh, an existing program it it pays to do your research to make sure that it is uh offered by a reputable and dependable app developer.
1: Yeah, Firefox is an excellent choice. Uh, And twofold, if you download something like Firefox, you also get a very fast browser because they have worked very hard to make that browser quick. So even if you don't care about the security and you just want to access your sites really fast, you should use Firefox. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, got stuck. I, like Firefox. I got stuck on Chrome because for a while Chrome was super fast and then it got super bloated. And uh, also there's, yeah. the more tabs you have open in Chrome, anyone who's done this with Chrome knows that even though they're all supposed to be distinct instances that don't bleed over into each other, uh, there gets to be some memory issues if you happen to be really a heavy user. And uh, everyone here at this company is a heavy user. So uh, Firefox is definitely going to be my browser of choice moving forward after I did this research. I also, I should point out, before I did this research, I did not know this. I was just a happy, blithe, naive Chrome user handing <laughs> handing over reams of personal data to Google, which, I mean, granted, I'm sure that company's bored with me by now, but still, there's some value there. Um, and then that brings us to encryption. And this Encryption, it gets, this is sort of like complicated, like the handshake thing, but encryption, when you boil it down, is all about scrambling messages so that the only people who can access it are the ones who have the key to decode it, right? So you have the key to encode and the key to decode. There are various implementations of that technology, different ways to have the public key and private key operations. I don't need to get into all of that because it gets way too technical, uh, obviously, it, encrypted is better than unencrypted, but not all encryption schemes are created equal, and it pays to know which <laughs> ones are true. in use. Yeah. So we. Yes, that's
1: very true. Yeah. There's there's even like there's symmetrical keys mm-hmm. and asymmetrical keys, mm-hmm. and then there's like SHA one and Bcrypt and RSA. There's all these different terminologies for encryption, but for what it's worth, all of them jumble up your information into some kind of format that will hope- hopefully encrypt it so that anybody who does gain access to the encrypted version of your information will not be able to reverse engineer it or change it back to its original Plain text format, so they can't read it in like English speak.
0: Right, it would just be meaningless garbage to them. Hopefully, yeah. In its ideal, uh, ideal implementation. So one of the things that you may have encountered, if you've ever set up any sort of wireless network, I think most people have, or at least they've they've had to connect to one, where they've seen the different types of uh, of network security protocols. Uh, these are certifications that the Wi-Fi Security Alliance uh, creates, and the earliest one was the Wired Equivalent Privacy protocol, or WEP. Uh, that one is decrepit; it's old, it's vulnerable as heck. So don't if, use it. Yeah, if you have the if if your router tells you like asks you which one you want to use, don't use WEP. Um, it is not secure. It is it's I mean, you could argue it's better than nothing, but not by much because the vulnerabilities have been known for a long time. In fact, so long that even before the 90s were up, you had people developing the next generation, which uh, <laughs> would have been the Wi-Fi Protected Access or WPA. Uh, so WPA came out. Then you get WPA2, which was trying to address some of the shortcomings of WPA, uh, both of those also still have vulnerabilities. WPA2 is generally talked about as being one of the more secure uh, uh, certifications these days. There is a WPA3, also has vulnerabilities that have been pointed yeah. out within a year of <laughs> it ready. coming out. Yeah. So, uh, but WPA I, I I don't think I've even seen a lot of stuff that's certified WPA3 yet. Like I've seen Yeah,
1: we've we've started to see some wireless routers come out with WPA3, but they they're still a little expensive and they haven't really gotten widespread adoption by consumers mm-hmm. quite yet. So, yeah. WPA2 is fine for most consumers to use. Mm-hmm. Uh you just have to make sure that you set it up correctly and you don't Give the entire world access to your password for your account.
0: Yeah, that because then there's what what were you even thinking? There's no point then. Yeah. Uh, so so WPA three and WPA two, all of these are are designations. And what happens is a manufacturer will make a piece of equipment, or uh, either it's a a computer or a handset or maybe it's a router, and then they submit it to this Wi-Fi Security Alliance that then makes sure that that technology meets whatever the requirements are for the particular designation. Then they put the stamp on it and they say, yes, this is WPA2 compliant or WPA3 compliant. So that just tells you that compliance, really. there It gets more granular than that. Uh, for example, a WPA2 has two different types of encryption standards that can be used. There's the bad one, Uh, It's Temporal Key Integrity Protocol, or TKIP. And I call it bad because... TKIP. Yeah, TKIP. TKIP is no longer safe. Skip the TKIP if you... Skip the TKIP. I like that. Yeah, it's a nice mnemonic device. And then there's (laughs) Advanced Encryption Standard, or AES, and that's the more secure of the two. So don't rely on TKIP. Rely on AES. Uh, So that will end up protecting you quite a bit as well. The encryption will end up helping a great deal uh, because you've just made it more difficult for someone to get anything meaningful from your browsing activity. Uh, It does not mean that you are immune, but again, the harder you make it for somebody, the less chance they're gonna put forth the effort to break through whatever protections you put up. So just general note. Um, And then that also brings us to secure browsing. So back in the day, which was a Thursday. I don't know if you know that. Uh, there was the <laughs> the Secure Sockets Layer (SSL). The, the, whenever you went to a website that had the little padlock, had the lock on it, and the HTTPS, yeah. like the original version of that was SSL. In fact, a lot of people still refer to SSL, even though that technically has been and has for a while <laughs> been replaced by the Transport Layer Security or TLS. But it's the same sort of purpose. It's to it's meant to create the secure channel of communication between you and a specific uh, website, URL address. So if you see HTTPS or you see that little locked padlock in the address bar of your browser, then you know you are in a secure channel uh, between your your device and that browser, at least uh, as far as uh, information going between those two points are. I mean, obviously, if you're on a public Wi-Fi hotspot that's unsecured, you've got other issues, but it means that when you're browsing, you wanna make sure that that HTTPS is showing up. You don't, yes. you don't want the HTTP. You wanna you want make sure that S is there.
1: So one thing I've noticed very rarely, but it has happened on occasion, is where a website uh, that requires you to log in somewhere, like their main page, their .com address will be encrypted with HTTPS, but as soon as you go over to the login page or go through any tree of different sites that they have created on their dot com domain all the rest of their pages are http they are unencrypted so if you go to the login page and my cat agrees mm-hmm. she's meowing behind me mm-hmm. uh, and you put in your username and password those would be copied through plain text and If anybody was, you know, tracking or sniffing your packets, they would be able to see that plain text username and password. So, for example, if my password was my cat's name is Starbuck and that was a plain text unencrypted website just using HTTP, then if somebody was sniffing those packets, they could see that password show up in their software through whatever hardware device they might be using and just be able to see oh she entered starbucks and then they could go to the website type that in and gain access to my login account information
0: yeah and that is what we call no bueno right like no bueno yeah yeah and, ho- and more and more sites are getting better about making certain
1: that their entire presence they are is being secure but Yeah, you can't. It's actually harder and harder to find examples of websites doing that. So, which I'm happy to see because that makes my job harder and that means people are listening. Uh, So, I am happy to see that less sites are doing that, but we still have issues. Mm -hmm. There's still some out there. And then
0: occasionally you have uh, browsers that will alert you uh, if you try to navigate to a site that is not secure. It'll give you a little alert, which is good too. Because, you know, if the people on the website aren't being diligent, it at least gives the user on the other end the heads up of, hey, you probably thought this was secure, but turns out it's not. Maybe you want to rethink that. Are you sure you want to go ahead? You will probably be eaten by a grue. And then you decide whether or not you want to do it. (laughs) Uh, Now, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about one other topic before we get into like the super secret stuff. And that is what the heck is incognito mode for? Hmm. But uh, before we do that, let's take another quick break. We've got some more discussion about public Wi Fi and the steps you should take to protect yourself. But before we get to that, let's take another break. So, Shannon. I, yes, I, I have, I've, <laughs> I've gone to a a private uh, network, right? I, I'm it's not maybe mine, but it's a private one. It's not open to the public. It's encrypted. It's uh, password access. I've done all those wonderful things, and then I think, you know what? I'm gonna look at some. So
1: like your friend's house or something?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I decide, you know what I want to do? I want to. I'm gonna look at some. Uh, I'm going to look at some some stuff that I don't think my friends would really understand. Maybe, maybe I'm going to look into uh, yes. that, that My Little Pony fan fiction. Uh, and I don't want my friends to know about it. So I'm like, well, I'm going to be super sneaky. I'm going to go into incognito mode. Now no one's ever going to know. <laughs> so I click on that little incognito mode and little bitty Shadow Man pops up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm totally safe and totally secret. Nobody knows it's me. And I start looking at my brony fan fiction. That, oh, you know the term. <laughs> hey, look. I are you a brony? I wouldn't listen. Listen. Did you just
1: give yourself away?
0: Listen, Princess Celestia and I have an understanding. <gasps> okay, so we are not going to go down oh that gosh. road. We're not going to go that. Like, yeah, Fluttershy and I, we're like, we're tight. So we're not. It's fine. Okay, it's Aww. acceptable behavior. But no, it is acceptable. <laughs> but I don't want my friend to know that. Now, okay. Here's the sad thing. Folks uh, just told
1: everybody on the podcast. Well, yeah,
0: one one. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, I guess I should be more secure with my data. And secondly, (laughs) secondly, incognito mode. That's not how that works. It doesn't protect you from anyone who has any access to the network from seeing what you're doing. Right.
1: Right, that's correct. Um, yeah. So incognito mode. Uh, you you've probably seen it on your own computer. If you go up into the menu for your regular browser and go into like the drop down menu, there's usually an option to choose incognito mode or like secret mode or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Private browsing
0: or similar. whatever.
1: Yeah, private browsing. Yeah, that's another one. Uh, so so if you click that, it opens up a completely different window on your computer or on your phone as well. You can do it on your phone. Uh, and you start to browse but basically the only thing that incognito mode is really doing is uh not putting anything into your local history Mm -hmm. for your your web browsing history so if somebody else got it on your computer they would not know what you were doing in, in incognito mode uh and it also doesn't store the cookies on your computer so any information that you were sharing with a website during your incognito mode uh, would not be stored afterwards. So all those cookies that might have happened during a session, they'll just be erased like you never existed. Right. Uh, that, that can actually be very useful. For example, if you're looking for a fun hack, if you want to save some money on airplane flights, you can mm-hmm. track them. You can look up airplane flight uh, prices in incognito mode and compare them to your regular browser. And sometimes, on occasion, you can find cheaper prices in incognito mode, because it doesn't see how much you are searching. It doesn't see how how many websites you've gone to. Those cookies just aren't there. So the website is going to give you the best price through that, that private browsing mode. Uh, That's pretty much like the most interesting thing that I use for incognito mode for, uh, but it can be used to secretly access websites without anybody else knowing that you're accessing those websites at the time. For example, if you are a brony.
0: Yeah. So this works on the device (laughs) level, but not the network level. So, yeah. So if my friend gets hold of my phone or my computer, there would be no record of me having gone on the brony fanfiction community site uh, where uh, I post by QD Mark 75. They would not be able to see that. But if they were to look at the network <laughs> traffic, they'd say, huh... This IP address is going to this brony site a lot, and uh, it's not my computer, right. so it's obviously your device. And so right. and so, this is why, like, if you were to use, let's say that you're at work. Let's say that you're, at w- the, the example I like to give is, you're, let's say you are stuck in a crappy job. You're doing your job, but you're miserable, and you would really love to be able to get something else. But you don't have any time outside of your job where you can really dedicate toward things like searching for job openings. So on your lunch break, you slip into incognito mode and you go on a job search website. Well, just because you're in incognito mode doesn't mean that at the network level, they can't see exactly what's going on. So it doesn't actually protect what you're doing or how you're doing it. So one thing you might want to use incognito mode for, uh, if you're someone like me who does a lot of research, Let's say I'm researching into something that uh, you know it's it's just not my bag. You know, it's I, I need to do an episode about it, but it's not something I'm particularly interested in on a personal level or might even be something that I would find uh, very awkward. Let's say that I was doing an episode about uh, dating websites. And so I have to do a whole bunch of research on dating websites well, then I might want to use incognito mode so it doesn't build up this cookie history that relates back to me personally so that maybe I log on to something like Facebook and then suddenly all the ads are for dating sites. That would be awkward, right?
1: That would be super awkward, especially if you are married. Yes. (laughs) Not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I had a similar occasion with, I was looking up pregnancy and birth information for somebody in my family. Uh, I'm nowhere near any time soon giving you know, birth to any children in my life, except for my beautiful <laughs> fur babies that I have in my house with me. Uh, so I was looking up this information and I was just like, hmm, do I want Twitter and Instagram to start promoting like baby items to me? Or do I want them to keep on promoting like makeup and Sailor Moon items, which I'm actually into? So I looked up the information about pregnancy and birth uh, for the other person through incognito mode so that that information wouldn't actually be tracked and identified as a part of my online uh, personality. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that way I was able to keep the same ads that I actually, you know, sometimes kind of enjoy looking at because they do pertain to my lifestyle, but nothing that had to do with pregnancies.
0: Right. And, And that's a great example, too, because there was that famous example a few years ago uh, of a retailer.
1: Oh, uh, I want to yes. say it was
0: Target, but I could be wrong. But it was a retailer. I think it was Target, yeah. And they had identified through the browsing history of a uh, a user that she was pregnant because of the things she was searching for. So they proactively sent her through the snail mail a package of coupons for pregnancy related items. And her father was the one who intercepted the the letter, the coupons, and she had not told him. That she was pregnant and he had assumed that Target had made this assumption and got super mad and then turned out that he was mad about something that actually had happened. She just had not – she had not had the occasion. She had not found the way to tell him and that's awful. Uh,
1: Yeah. It's it's such a breach of privacy to be honest is when they start tracking you like that and sending you information. It's like unsolicited advertising Mm -hmm. and I – Ugh, I hate it. We deal with it every single day online.
0: Yeah. It's 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 even worse than unsolicited advice. Like that's bad, but unsolicited <laughs> advertising is even worse because they're like, yeah, uh, they're so eager to make that sale that they can overstep very easily. Well, let's wrap up by talking about some of the more secure ways you can browse if you have to connect. And we mentioned this at the very top of the show where VPNs are virtual private networks. And We mentioned that sort of man-in-the-middle attack where you are logging into a hacker's machine thinking that that's a legit hotspot, and then the hacker is kind of relaying information and sniffing the entire time and learning all about you. VPNs are kind of like that, but on the legit side where you are logging into a remote server somewhere far away probably uh, through an encrypted connection And then when you browse, it's as if you're browsing from the server's location, not your personal device. So if I were to log into a VPN and then log into a web service, the web service would see my location as the location of the VPN server, not my gadget that's actually in front of me.
1: Right. And not necessarily just for if you want to look at your My Little Pony Brony fanfics, Uh, But VPNs can be extremely useful if you're trying to access a website that's only available in select countries. So if you choose to purchase like a consumer-facing VPN product, and there's many out there, I could make recommendations, but they're constantly changing as far as their privacy and uh, security terms and policies go. So I won't make any major recommendations here. Uh, But if you choose a VPN that has a, a, uh, for example, a... country-facing server that's in Japan. That means that I could download this VPN, log into it, connect through Japan, and be able to access a website that's only available to Japanese residences. Uh, so I I had to do that a few years ago when I wanted to purchase tics- tickets for the Studio Ghibli Museum through the Japanese website. It wouldn't let you access it through an American server or an American connection, so I logged in through my VPN through the Japanese server uh, and I was able to purchase those tickets through the Japanese website. It thought that I was in Japan so it let me do it. and that way I was able to save myself so much money. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can do it for you know buying goods, buying tickets uh, for you know, going to a concert in a different country or a museum or something like that in a different country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use it to access online streaming portals that are only available in specific countries. Uh, You can use it to download specific things that are only available in specific countries. Like the list goes on and on uh, as far as different ways that you can use VPNs that aren't necessarily just directed for security and privacy, but are also directed at manipulating where the website thinks that you are coming from.
0: Yeah. And this can be a matter of life and death for some people. Like here in the United States, we largely use it for the purposes of things like privacy, security and convenience but in other places where you might be uh, in a a country with a a more authoritarian government, one that is uh, far more restrictive in access to uh, certain services, if you're able to connect through a VPN, which granted that means that that government agency hasn't been paying very close attention, but if you're able to do that, then you can log into different things as if you were from some other part of the world, and maybe get access to vital information or services that otherwise you would not have at your disposal. So they play a very important role. In fact, um, I gave an example today with a friend of mine about how I would see VPNs and incognito mode together being incredibly important. So imagine, this is a terrible scenario, and I put that out there first, but imagine that you're in some form of abusive situation at home and whether it's a spouse, a parent, parent, some sort of authority figure, whatever it may be, but you're in that abusive experience, you're going to feel like you are helpless and you want to look for resources that can help you get out of that situation. But at the same time, you have a very legitimate fear of being found out for seeking out those resources and the fear of reprisal that you might face as a result of that. Well, using something like a VPN and incognito mode would mean that you're not leaving a trace on the network of what you're doing, because as far as the network's concerned, all you're doing is visiting this VPN server. It's not seeing what else you're doing. All it knows is you went to that VPN server. Incognito mode means you're not leaving the trace on whatever device you're actually using to do that sort of search. So these are the sort of tools that can literally mean life or death scenarios for people. And you know yes, c- that's combine a dramatic one that's together
1: legit. and it. Yeah. And once you start combining those different security and privacy products together uh, that are very consumer friendly, then you can end up having a much more secure experience online, especially if you're dealing with some kind of like like an abusive relationship or something like that. That can be uh, something that you seriously have to worry about. So definitely take those into consideration using an incognito mode and VPNs together is so easy Yeah, it's just as simple as opening up that browser window in private uh, browsing mode and turning on your VPN, which is usually with a lot of software nowadays is the click of a switch on your computer. And there
0: are a lot of uh, VPN apps out there. Like there are a lot of the services where if you subscribe to the service, you can use uh, your computer, or you can use a mobile device, or you can use some combination of multiples. And there are even ones where you can have it set as a default that as soon as you connect to Wi-Fi networks, you connect through the VPN. So you don't even have to to think about it in that case, Uh, which is definitely good if you're using like a mobile device and you're connecting to public Wi-Fi frequently. You definitely want to have that turned on because if you ever forget about it, that's when you're going to have the opportunities for people to take advantage of you. Uh, The last example, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: uh, There's also the option to build your own VPN, but that gets very much into the nitty gritty Mm -hmm. Uh, since there are a lot of consumer facing ones that are generally fine for the average consumer. That's what I would normally recommend. But when I go to DEF CON, for example, I bring... Um, like my own certificate, my own VPN and my own little OVPN basically file. And I stick that on my phone to actually run my own VPN. Uh, When you do that, you're basically creating your own secure profile as opposed to trusting a VPN company with your information and hoping that they are doing it for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a great point, Shannon, because a lot of these solutions actually ultimately require you to put trust in another entity. And You know, there have been cases where even VPNs have suffered data breaches in recent past where, uh, you know, you have to worry about that kind of stuff, too. Uh, There does come a point where you ultimately you have to say to yourself, at what point am I comfortable handing over control or handing over, uh, you know, some of my data? Because uh, either you're doing that or you're doing nothing. But, you know, deciding where that point is, is a very personal choice. Uh, The very last one I want to talk about, and we can do this very briefly, is Tor, the Tor browser. Uh, Tor initially was an acronym. It stood for the Onion Router. And the reason it's called Onion is because it does encryption in layers, uh, each outer layer being another layer of encryption. And I gave a very simple analogy. Imagine that you are trying to ship a present. Let's say I'm shipping a present to Shannon. um, Oh, thanks. You're welcome. But I don't want you to know where I live um for some reason oh and i don't want anyone to know that i'm sending a present specifically to you for some reason so what i've done is i've nested your package that has your present in it inside another package that's going to go to a totally different address and i've nested that is
1: it a brony package what's that is it a brony package
0: there's probably some you know my little pony temporary tattoo sheets oh, in there. okay cool yeah okay. so that's in there And then that's in a second package. Uh, The second package is in a third. The third package is in a fourth. Each package has a different address on it. So I've got a really big package that ultimately is just holding a bunch of boxes and, and a couple of sheets of temporary tattoos in the innermost box. I ship that to the first address. The person at the first address opens up this big box and they see that there's a slightly smaller box inside with a different address on it. So they plop that back into the post office. Post office takes that to the second destination. They open up the package. Well, destination number two, they know that the package came from destination number one, but they don't know anything further back from that. They don't know that I was the person who originally put the package in the mail. And they don't know where the package is ultimately going to. They just see destination three on the shipping label of that inner package. So they send it to Destination 3. Destination 3 gets it. They open it up. They know it came from Destination 2. They don't know about Destination 1. They definitely don't know about me. And they see that they need to send on the next package to Destination 4 and so on and so forth till finally you get to that innermost package, which has Shannon's address on it. She gets it. She knows it came from the previous site, but doesn't know any of the rest of the history, including where it came from, except I probably put a note in the inside of the package saying, hey, it's from me. Brony Joe. And then <laughs> then she gets the package.
1: You would probably want to make sure that your message is encrypted. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, there's like a, a you know, I, I tell you that you need to use your super secret Captain Crusader decoder ring or whatever to decrypt the message. And then, Ooh, I like that. And then she would be able to to use a similar process to send information to me. Uh, now, this is a, a very secure way typically of sending information. There are ways to try and sniff out things just as there are with any network communication, but it's hard. It's very hard to get anything it's meaningful slow. through this process. Uh, it is possible. It's not foolproof, but it's real hard. And uh, and so this is generally considered the most secure way to browse the internet. However, with that security there comes a trade-off and that trade-off is mainly felt in the form of speed. We're in the home stretch now. We're going to have a little bit more talk about public Wi-Fi and safety measures you should be observing. But before we get to that, let's take one last break.
1: There has been talk on on the internet many years ago that um, government agencies had access to some of the um, end nodes, the, the very last place that your package would hit mm-hmm. before it went on to whoever it was supposed to go to. Um, so you do have to consider where where is this information being sent and who has access to the very end of that tunnel that you're sending that information through. Um, and if that's protected, then yeah, it's a great option. Um, but of course with tor as well as with vpns and incognito mode you you shouldn't use just one of these options you should use all of them if they are at your disposal Mm -hmm. but again do you want to deal with the slowness that you're going to experience when you add these additional tunnels and additional nodes onto whatever you're trying to gain access to or are you going to deal with the security um, uh, uh, minimal Experience and add that additional convenience to your experience by just not using it. So there are trade offs yeah. either way.
0: And you've summarized it perfectly, Shannon. I mean, this is like we said at the beginning, this is a spectrum. And the important thing is to be educated to that spectrum so you can make your own educated decisions and not just trust to the fates. Uh, I have a tattoo on my back of the Fool Tarot card, the Eternal Optimist. Don't be the fool. You can get the tattoo if you want. It's pretty awesome. It's dope. But uh, don't don't be the <laughs> don't be the fool in life, right? Don't just trust that you can take a step off a cliff and you're not gonna fall to your death. The fool is taking a step off a cliff in the traditional tarot card. So you don't want to be like that. You want to be informed and make choices. And you know there might be instances where you think, okay, I'm in a public spot. I am going to use Wi-Fi, but I'm using it for something that's not related to my personal information. I'm literally, maybe I'm looking up a restaurant to find out what hours it's open and that's it. You know, there are different levels. But if you're thinking, I wanna do some shopping or I'm gonna check my bank statement or I'm gonna log in to my email or this one's a big one for us here at, at iHeart. If I'm going to access any of my, my work stuff, right? Like anything that's stored on there, any of the services that are on here, Definitely use a VPN in those cases because you're talking about things that affect not just you, but other people, right? You're talking about the potential right. of affecting uh, 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 essentially an entire company if if the wrong information were to get out, you know, especially if you're talking about things like publicly traded companies. You want to make sure that you're being a good steward of the information that's been entrusted to you, not just your own. Exactly. But others. So, uh Shannon, this has been a joy. You have given generously of your time and your expertise, and I greatly appreciate it. Please let people know where they can find your work.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. Uh, I love security and privacy, and I think of it as a habit that you build upon over time. And the more that you learn about it, the better off you can be in the future. So. Build upon your security for your future self and for your family, too, because the more secure you are, the more secure they will be as well. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about consumer privacy and security, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's YouTube.com slash Shannon Morse. Uh, and that's M-O-R-S-E, just like Morse code. And I will be going to CES, just like Jonathan, Jonathan mentioned. I'm very excited. So I will be posting a lot of content from the Consumer Electronic Show. And I will have tons in store through the year of 2020.
0: Awesome, Shannon, it's always a pleasure. I am so sad that I will not be seeing you at CES. We'll have to make time for some other tech conference, I'm sure. Or next time I'm out your way, I'll I'll give you a shout and maybe we can like- Please do. Yeah, we can, we can go grab ramen or something and chat about security. I would love that. That'd be awesome. And that was an episode from Christmas Day 2019, The Dangers of Public Wi-Fi. I hope you enjoyed this look back on the episode. It was one of the really epic ones. When I took a look at the full running time, I thought, wow, um, I owe Shannon a really nice lunch or something for agreeing to sit on a podcast for so long with me. Because as we all know, that's a big request. I hope you are all staying safe and are well If you have suggestions for topics I should cover on future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. The best way to do that is on Twitter. The handle for the show is HSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.